Welcome to the Bold Goal Crusher podcast for anyone looking to stop letting life get in the way and start crushing bold goals. I'm your host, Sarah Mayer, and I'm thrilled to navigate this journey with you because it's time to start boldly achieving without working double time. So let's dive in. Have you ever set that big goal and then not quite sure how to get there? Yeah, happens to everyone. But today we're going to talk about productivity in staying with your goals and making things happen. And I'm super excited about this one because I have not spoken to my guests since 2006. We figured out that the last time that we had connected was in New Orleans. We were at a conference for a professional association, and it's been a long time. We just caught up on Facebook with some pictures. So today, I'm very excited to introduce you to my friend, Eric Lacrezia, who is the former director of recruitment for the Global MBA program at Essex Business School in Paris and Singapore. And he is the creator of Candidate Coach. And this is a boutique admissions counseling firm that supports candidates applying for MBA and master's programs worldwide. He's also the author of a series of country-specific guidebooks, Getting Into an MBA, which is the DIY A to Z guide to help applicants research, apply, and get into the MBA of their dreams. And he also provides support for getting a visa, scholarships, loans, and everything you need to start your year or two or maybe stay forever abroad while doing your MBA. So I'm super excited to reconnect with you, Eric, and have you on the podcast. Hey, Sarah, thanks for having me. So good to see you again. I yeah. think it was 2006, right? Like in New Orleans? Yep. Mm-hmm. 2006, we were both young young professionals at a conference. I think I think we met probably a couple of years prior, but that's the last time that I saw you. So I'd love to catch up. Tell me, how did you end up abroad? Because you've been living in all over since 2006. Tell me about your little journey. Yeah, moved around quite a bit. Well, first of all, I'll argue that we're still young professionals, younger (laughs) back then. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, when, when we met, I was working at the CW Post campus of Long Island University. You can guess where that is in Long Island, New York. And at the time when I first met you, I was the manager of Greek life. So all the fraternities and sororities on campus. And that was the conference that we used to go to. I think you were working for one of the sororities, right? I was actually working probably at that time for Florida Tech. Um, So that was like my third professional position with the fraternities and sororities, same type of role. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, after a couple of years, uh, I left Greek life um, stayed at the same campus and I was kind of moving up in the, in the administration. And I had always had this nagging bug. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go to Europe specifically. And that summer of 2007, I realized I had enough flyer miles to go round trip for free. So I was like, I'm going to Europe. So I did that typical kind of backpack around thing, went to a bunch of places and above all, I fell in love with Spain. Um, both Madrid and Barcelona, but Barcelona's on the beach and I was sold. I come from a little island. If I'm too far from the water, it freaks me out. And uh, <laughs> so I moved to Barcelona. And at the time I was just teaching English, um, learning Spanish. 
And um, two months after I arrived there, there was the global financial crisis, right? So we're talking like October 2008. Um, yeah, October 2008, uh, Obama was about to get elected, Lehman Brothers fell apart, and the little bit of savings in stock that I had like crumbled. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, and Spain was particularly hard hit by the global financial crisis. At the time I was teaching English and I stuck it out, but a lot of my friends were losing work. Like they couldn't pay the rent anymore because a lot of their clients were canceling. And so I was lucky I managed to maintain for the academic year, but I knew it was going to get worse before it got better. And so with my ex, we actually decided to move and we did a lot of places, but ultimately we chose Sydney, Australia. Um, yeah, down on the night. And uh, this is a country for like the last 30 years, they've never had a crisis. So if they've been in good shape financially, um, I was still teaching English and kind of worrying about how I was going to find work in an English speaking country. But they have a lot of people from all over, like especially um, Chinese, Thai, Lebanese. So I was teaching that way. That lasted precisely a year because Australia is very strict for their visa. Um, mm -hmm. And so I by way of Argentina, found my way back home in New York. And I worked there that summer. I had a job kind of handed to me, which was really nice. But I told him before I accepted, I was like, I wasn't gonna stay. I knew I was probably gonna bounce again. And I had not been in Europe for long enough. So I said, well, I have a base level of French. Let's try Paris. And here it is 11 years later, <laughs> been here that long. So um, yeah, I kind of always stayed in education, whether you know, I do have my degree in education as well. I have a master's to teach science, biology and earth science. And I've always worked in like administration, whether it be recruitment or student leadership and development, this kind of various areas in, in, in education, which inevitably led me to a lot of coaching, like kind of like yeah. informal with all the students that I was working with, like I was ended up coaching them either for academic stuff, resume stuff, or even kind of like, you know how it is when you're a young administrator on campus, you work with students, they inevitably open up about what's going on in their lives and you kind of help them through stuff. So this kind of coaching thing has always been there. And um, yeah, so by the time I got back to Paris, I, in the beginning of teaching English, freelance, very typical American thing to do, um, it's handy. Um, and then I kind of got my way as, you know, my network was growing back into academia. And I worked at Sciences Po, uh, which is a, a school rooted in political science at Sciences Po. Mm. Um, it's super prestigious. Like, I think five of the last six French presidents went there. It's a big deal. Oh, wow. And uh, I was working with the international student population. So I would kind of organize their orientation week and provide services for international students. I was there for two years. And after that, um, I went over to ESSEC where I was the recruiter for the global MBA programs, their full-time MBA, um, which was a fledgling program at the time. It was only like three years old, um, not yet ranked. And I was there for six years. By the time I left, I was director of recruitment and the program is, I think the rankings came out. Yeah. Just this Monday, financial times rankings, which is kind of like one of the, mm -hmm the benchmark rankings um they're up to like 64 now worldwide oh wow yeah that's awesome yeah so they're doing i love we talk all things goals on this podcast and i love that you just had a goal to go abroad for a little bit and you ended up there 11 years but you just jumped like you didn't even take like a baby step like i'm gonna go on a week vacation you you jumped full in how did that like, how did that feel? What made you decide to do that? And, you know, were there challenges along the way? Well, you, as you bring up goals, I think a big part of what making goals successful is people. The people that either inspire you, mentor you, or um, 
yeah, that maybe give you some kind of support. And, you know, Europe was always this kind of like dream destination for me, but it remained in my head, like too far, too expensive. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know anyone. Um, and so it was this guy named Paul that I met who was from Ireland and he was coming over doing some work in New York for a few months. And we really connected. Um, he didn't have family in New York. So I kind of took him in for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so he's like, at the end, you've been so kind to me. If you ever want to come to Dublin, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was like, huh. And that's when I checked to see how many flyer miles I had. Didn't realize I accumulated so much while I was recruiting for a CW post. Yeah. Um, that was cool. We got to keep our miles. And so I was like, oh, I can do this like, round trip and free. And so that was the plan. And I just was like, blown away but you know how Europe is you know the history the beauty the culture the food the wine um yeah and I was like you know what I want to like set up shop here for like a couple of years and then I can like visit around instead of like crossing the Atlantic each time so that was what did it it was a, it was this person and there's been other people along the way that were real catalysts in my life that made those goals seem more reasonable attainable reasonable or attainable to me and I don't know, I felt more safe or courageous to go for them. So I think people is just such a huge piece of the goal thing. Yeah, I love it. When I was in Ireland, I've been many times and stayed there for a bit. They always said, when you come back, they never said, if you come back. And I've been other places where they always said, well, if you come back, you need to do X, Y, Z. But the Irish, they, they always said, when you come back. And I found that I really loved that culture. One of the things that you brought up was relationships. And I think when we have these big, wild, crazy goals, just like you mentioned, there are people that can light the fire to keep that goal alive. And then oftentimes there's the people, I know this happened to me when I first started my business, people would say, well, you have to do this. You should do that. You must do that. And it was all this and are you crazy? Because you're not going to be able, when are you going to get a job is what a lot of people said. So how do you balance that from the negative people and then the positive people that can either ignite or kill our dreams? Totally. I mean, like apart from the, the positive influences, there's the naysayers, there's the people that with good intentions kind of tell you all the different, you know, administrative things or the, the they want to give you the tough love, but you know, there's, that's helpful to a point, but I think that really needs to be balanced with, you know, the positive stuff. Right. And it's not up to them to, to, to measure that. Like that's really up to you to, to dose yourself properly. Right. So I think it's really important about the people who you choose to keep in your life. Also knowing among the people you have in your life, everyone kind of has their own way. So kind of like knowing, what you can get from different people. And I don't mean that in any sort of manipulative way, but just like what that person's sort of role is in your life and to like seek them out when you know you need X, Y, or Z. Um, so yeah, the, the, the heavy doses of like, oh, you need to do this. And when are you going to get a job? All that kind of stuff. You know, it's good to have those voices because it makes you, it grounds you, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, um, depending on what kind of personality you are, you are real visionary which also means dreamer sometimes um you know and i think to be an entrepreneur it takes guts it takes a certain amount of courage and i would even say a certain level of a certain degree of narcissism to believe that i can do this better than what's already out there um it's a necessary ingredient for success um to balance out like the vision that you may have you know so really balance is the answer right yeah balance and we do spend the most amount of time with one person and that's the person in our head. So I think it's really important to be really clear 
about why you want XYZ goal or whatever you're trying to accomplish, not only for others, but for yourself, because if you're not really sure, that's the quickest way that that gets thrown to the wayside. Totally. It made me think when when you mentioned like the topic um, for today or the week, I'm not really sure, but um, uh, like I, I told myself like, well, what's your bottom line? Like, what is the main target? Is it, is it about making money? Is it about getting into a top school? Is it about buying a home, finding a, you know, the right relationship, having children, getting nationality somewhere else abroad? It could be any number of things. So it's like really having eyes on the prize kind of thing uh, that really helps you focus and actually like everything you do, you know, especially when you're starting a business by yourself and you, you have to do everything, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have your product or your service that you're offering, right? But then you have to do all the marketing, which especially in the beginning, it's probably at least five or 10 times the amount of time you spend on delivering your product or service, you're doing marketing in the beginning because nobody knows you. Um, But you're also your own IT department, accounting, tax department, you know, everything. Um, So it's intense. So you have to think like, okay, with the limited hours we have each day, um, the actions that I choose to do, are they bringing me towards that goal? Mm -hmm. Uh, So in a word, that's focus, I guess. Um, But, you know, taking stock of that, because it's easy to get lost in the details. Um, and I like to use the metaphor of, I think it comes from a Spanish expression I learned when I lived in Barcelona, but putting yourself on the balcony would be the translation. Um, and it basically means stepping back and looking from a kind of bird's eye view of like the whole ensemble of your activities and where you put your time and energy um, and make some tough decisions about actually, that's not bringing me towards my ultimate goal. Like that's maybe a nice thing to do. Um, it's cool, but it's not really getting, it's not getting me paid. It's not getting me... My partner is not getting me the nationality, whoever it may be. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really about being productive and staying, you mentioned staying focused. So how do you do that? How do you teach? I mean, you work with students who are looking to get their MBA and the first step is getting in, but the ultimate goal is graduating. So how do you help people and also work with yourself to stay productive and focus on the goal so you can actually achieve it? Sure. I mean, like... I'm going to contradict you here a little bit. I don't think the okay. first step is getting in. Um, I think the first step is figuring out who you are, what oh, yeah. you want, what you're good at. Uh, then second to that would be figuring out the markets. Like, you know, okay, let's say I've always been working in finance and I'm from, I don't know, London and um, my role is X, Y, Z, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, I want to change. I'm not happy. Okay, but it's not enough to know that you don't want to continue doing something. You have to really have a clear vision you do yeah. want to do. When you're applying for a master's or an MBA, it's you can't just be like, I want to change. Like they want to know that you really understand yourself. You know yourself, you know what you want, mm-hmm. and you have a goal that's specific and realistic. So it has to be really thought through. And a lot of people approach the process with the idea of like, I want to get into a top-ranked school or I'm looking for a scholarship. <laughs> yeah. You know, first of all, people asking for money without even knowing, like without even demonstrating your worth, let's say, to a school yeah. is like poor taste. It's like yeah. asking in the first date, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or uh, assuming. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Even worse. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah. um, but anyway, um, like, and the other thing is, is about like rankings. Like we talk about top ranked schools, like the rankings are one thing and that's good. And I think it gives you a sort of compass in the dark. Um, it gives you a, a sort of context. And when you don't really know what's out there. And I think more often than not, the school that is the right fit for someone 
is not the one you necessarily have in your first mm-hmm. list. And because you know, you know, the schools that are the most famous or the ones that are in your geographical region, this kind of stuff. Um, so the rankings, I think, have a good starting point. They are a good starting point when you're doing your research. And then as you go deeper into your research, understand the schools, you've not only read the website, but you've talked to alumni, you've talked to current students, maybe even faculty. Um, the deeper you go into the research, the less relevant the rankings are actually. They start to fade away in importance because you'll start to find that the school that's the best fit for you isn't necessarily top 10. And it's not because you're not a top 10 person. It's not about that. And that's where you have to really start separating ego from things. It's mm-hmm. just that, first of all, rankings are in a way kind of subjective. You know, there's a bunch of ranking companies out there. You'll notice they're quite different from each other where schools land on a list. Uh, they can be very different from when you're next as well. And so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. There's obviously a lot of prestige going to a top 10 or top 20 school. But does that mean it's the right fit for you in terms of do they specialize in the kind of career field that you're targeting like if they don't have any alumni examples of people that have been successful in that program in that field that you're targeting it's probably not the best place for you you know so first really it's this multi-layered research thing between figuring out who you are what you like what you want to do the markets out there where is there you know a need for this role or industry you know uh that you want to do and um and what schools are the match between what school is the bridge between where you are today and the future so that's a huge amount of time we spend in the beginning is to really do that research properly. So you make sure all the schools that you're applying to, I'm going to narrow it down to a list of like three, four, maybe five schools. Um, otherwise, you spend a lot of time and money for nothing. So it's very research heavy in the beginning. Um, and then start developing a storyline for you. I think it's super important um, to have like a story arc that is about yourself, that talks about like who you are and what you're looking for and your knowledge of the school. So it's important that they understand that you've done your homework. Um, and weaving that story into various elements of your application, specifically the essays, the interview, but also like in your in your resume or CV, same thing. Um, and like even in little dialogues that you might have between the recruiters and alumni and so on, all of that plays into your success as a candidate. So it's yeah. it's complex. Yeah, and I think this is very parallel to any goal. There's a lot of different ways to achieve the goal. There's many people that can help you with a goal, but it's really about knowing your why and yourself. You know, when I started my business, it was, you should do this, you should do that. And I found that those things didn't work for me. So while top coaches were like, you need to do this. I'm like, that is not authentic. So I can't do that. And I did it a different way. And I had better results when I did it the way that felt right for me. So I love that. So you work with people actually applying to and wanting to get their MBA. How does, you know, how did you get into this? Yeah. So it's, first of all, it's mostly MBAs, but it's definitely a bunch of master's level candidates as well. Um, Not necessarily to business school, Um, but how did I get into it? I mean, I think I sort of outlined my career path. Like I've kind of always worked in academia and there's always been a coaching element alongside of it. For example, when I worked at Sciences Po, like as like a side gig, I was doing twice a month these seminars of like how to do your resume in English and how to interview in English because they have a very big international mm-hmm. population um, besides the French as well. Um, so there was always this like coaching thing there. And then I was working as the director of recruitment for Essex Business School. And I really understood the positioning of the admissions office and like what they're looking for in candidates. Like um, over the years, I was giving a lot of advice to people. Like as, a, as I said in the beginning of our of our talk, that um, Essex was not yet 
ranked, right? Yeah. So I was running like triple time to get to get people to come to this because I knew once that program was ranked, it would be a lot easier to attract future students, right? So that I understood very quickly, <laughs> got to get this baby ranked. And so my whole strategy was to be of service, to provide you know support, to build trust and make the choice natural. Um, so yeah, basically that was great training for me to be a coach that I am today. And I love that you mentioned authenticity because I think that's super important. Um, first of all, as an applicant to a program, I mean, they can, they've got some pretty good BS detectors. And so like, if you're not being authentic in your essays or interviews, it's not going to work. It's not going to play out for you. But in terms of a, an entrepreneur, starting a company, starting something, you need to yeah, be authentic to yourself. And like the advice that you might get, you know, you take it in and you say, hmm, does that resonate with me? If not, next, you know, you move on. And maybe that's what I mean by that little dose of narcissism that's necessary. Because about it's about believing in yourself, really. If you, if that doesn't make sense to you, it's not for you. And got to go with your gut. Yeah. And that was a tough lesson at first because everyone was doing certain things. But when I realized what I did, when I did it differently, other people started doing it differently. And that was kind of cool, too, because it's like I was a little pioneer. But hmm. it felt better. It was right. And it, you know, wasn't weird. You know, I, I felt the other way. I felt weird doing it. I felt strange and not like myself. So I love you got to like put it out there. Like you, you try something, especially I think your first year as an entrepreneur, like whatever your product mm -hmm. or service may be, you put yourself out there, right? You probably have a website and you see where people are biting, like what's working and what's not. And then you adjust. And that, that's like, I think a huge lesson. I talk about this in my books and I talk about it with my clients and even in various talks, like, does it make sense for an entrepreneur to do an MBA? Cause like by one argument, like being an entrepreneur is sort of bucking against the system. It's like putting something out there that doesn't exist already. So why would you go for a formal business education? Yeah. But I, I kind of interviewed a couple of entrepreneur professors and I understood their arguments for entrepreneurs yeah. doing it. Like, as a small business, you're still, you still have all the needs and challenges of a major corporation, right? It's just on a much smaller scale. So you need to know how to, you know, manage people, do finance, accounting, all that kind of stuff, marketing. And I think it teaches you how to, in, in like two words, like fail efficiently. That is to say, what you put out there at first is almost definitely not going to work. And then you have to like quickly assess what's working, what's not make the necessary adjustments and put yourself out there again. And there's a very human element to that too, because we're putting our heart and soul into this thing, right? Yeah. And we believe that the, the, every time we try, we believe that this is like perfect. We've put, done it as good as we can. Um, and probably inevitably it will, it will fall or fail or something. Mm -hmm. And so just to have that oomph, that chutzpah to keep going, I think is, is, yeah. is the. And I love that connection you've made between formal education and being a sole entrepreneur. I think a lot of times people start their business because they're passionate about whatever, like they're a baker or they want to change something that they didn't like. I, I always use Sarah Blakely as the example because she just didn't like the pantyhose. <laughs> like it was not, I want to be, I want to be a big business owner and sell my company for a billion dollars. None of that. It was, I just don't like this product. But as a business evolves, you really do need higher level business skills when you start to hire people and you start to get into the point where your business is not small anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of times people end up hiring people to, to fill those gaps because they realize 
like, hey, I may not be good at finance. And so I need somebody as my company goes public or I need this or I need that. And so they bring people in. So I love the tie that you made to education because whether you're getting a formal education or you're getting coaching or mentorship or you're paying a coach or you're hiring somebody, we always need to be learning. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when your company goes public, you need some people who yeah. know what they're doing or yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I think it's super valuable. Um, and and there's, by the way, there's loads of MBAs out there that do focus on entrepreneurship. So there's, that's what I mean, finding the right fit, right? Like if that's your goal. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Love it. So if somebody wanted to work with you, Eric, what would be the the way to find you and what type of things can they expect to um, engage with you on? Gosh, I mean, I'm like everywhere. So, I mean, I'm all the <laughs> platforms, right? I pretty much have my second home I'm building in LinkedIn right now. And um, <laughs> um, of course, there's my website, which has all the information, contact information, what I do and so on. Um, that's www.candidate.coach. There's no com there. Um, I love that you can have these new like handles or whatever it's called on websites. You have like dot, you know, hotel dot Sarah, yeah. dot, you know, so it's dot coach. <laughs> But um, yeah, LinkedIn is great. I think any professional, and I try to get young people to engage on LinkedIn as young as possible. I just hosted um, an episode a couple of days ago this week um, on our little side project called MBA Waves. And the focus is all about using LinkedIn like a pro and like how you can optimize your profile to be more visible and be more attractive to either hiring manager if you're looking for a job or a school if you're looking mm-hmm. for admission somewhere um there's some simple things that you can do to make that happen and then other little tricks um that are not so obvious where you can grow your network mm-hmm. um so something i often find myself telling people is like you know adopt the reflex as young as possible mm-hmm. we meet someone whether at a networking event on a bus in a bar whatever and if you see potential any you know, smidgen of potential that this could be a f- good contact. Like, hey, we should exchange on LinkedIn. You know, we're all looking at like Instagram or Facebook or whatever anyway. Throw it in the mix. And arguably, it's way more interesting. <laughs> you don't have to look at people's, you know, pictures of their dinner or their cat. Um, <laughs> no offense to cat lovers, but like, <laughs> like, I'm good. Um, you're probably going to learn a lot more on LinkedIn and also make some connections that could be financially interesting or fruitful, let's say. Um, so yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and then of course, like Instagram and all this other stuff too. Um, especially with, with the books, it's fun to like post stuff on these platforms, like either like parts of chapters just to share what I'm talking about, or like images of the cover. Like I'm in love with the, my, my illustrator does such amazing work. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with how they came out. Yeah. They're great books. I definitely would encourage you to check them out. I'll link them in the show notes as well, if you're interested. And and I just want to go back to the beginning, like the power of connection and relationships. Eric and I have not spoken since 2006. We haven't seen each other since 2006, but yet here we are on a podcast together talking about something that we're both passionate about. And I think there are people in our lives that we're, we're meant to meet. And sometimes, you know, it may be years before that collaboration comes, comes forward, but LinkedIn is a great way. Even Facebook, just checking in with people over the years is, is I think a really cool way to stay connected and in a more authentic way. Like we're not, we're not just liking each other's photos anymore. Now we're podcasting together. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. In two different countries. 
Yeah, actually, the power of Zoom. What state are you in now? <laughs> I'm in Arizona. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's yeah, probably a whole so, lot done here. And in, 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 it's changing. Spring is on the way. Paris is like the flowers are just starting to bud. And Paris in the spring is kind of legendary, but uh, it's been cold. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sure it's been by you. Huh? It's cold here. It's like 65. Mm. <laughs> that is cold for us. I turned on the heat today, actually, which is, it was 63 in my house. I was like, oh no, this is not cool. So, and I'm like, oh no, this is Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> I have to remember that at 63. It sounds reasonable actually. Yeah. No, definitely no. cold here, but cool. it was uh great connecting with you. Everybody, please check out Eric. If you need any help, um, if you are looking for a coach or you just want to meet somebody who's super cool living in another country and living his best life, achieving his goals. He's a great person to know, super fun and always a great time to connect with you, Eric. Thanks, Sarah. It's so good to catch up with you too. All right. Check out the links in the bios, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold Goal Crusher podcast, where we crush goals and everything that gets in the way. I always love to support my community. So feel free to text the word goal to 480-530-5368. Again, 480-530-5368. 5368 and the word goal. And then tell me all about your goals and dreams. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you crush your goals this year.